0: Rollers or Mr. Rollers. That's what I kind of go by in the, sort of in the bike community.
1: How'd you get that moniker?
0: It goes back pretty far. You know, for one thing, I have this kind of semi-unpronounceable last name that's French. Rulier. Either unintentionally or intentionally, people would be like, just, they couldn't pronounce it, or they would just, like, kind of make fun of the unpronounceability of it, at least to American tongues. So <laughs> had a landlady that, you know, called me Mr. Rollers, and then the guy at work, you know, called me Rollers just for fun. Kind of like when the Midnight Riders website got started and people were registering, and, you know, everybody was registering under these nicknames and handles and all that, and so that's the name I registered under, and that's it kind of really stuck from there.
1: Was this the beginning of social riding?
0: The real beginning of social riding for me would have been September 2005 when I did the first my, my first Midnight Riders ride and um, the way that happened, you know, I've told the story a million times, but we live right by Echo Park Lake and I looked out the window one night and it was fri- you know, the second Friday night, I, think, I guess it would have been August 2005 and the ride had stopped right there at Echo Park Lake and I just looked out the window and saw this like sea of, you know, 200 Blinkies. Mm-hmm. A few months before that, I think there was some article in the LA Times about the Bicycle Kitchen and I think it kind of mentioned Midnight Riders and I said, oh, that sounds cool. You know, I had a bike, but I wasn't riding very much. Um, I became sort of aware of this kind of growing contingent of kind of younger, hipper people around Silver Lake and Echo Park that were riding bikes. I didn't quite know what it was. And then, I, like I said, I read about the Bicycle Kitchen. And then looked out the window one night and saw this ride and I was like, I got to do that. I got to find out what that is, you know, and just jumped on the computer and, you know, this was 2005. So it wasn't like everything just popped up the minute you Googled something. But after a few minutes, I think I found the Bicycle Kitchen website and then they were like, oh, yeah, sign up here for the, you know, email notification list, you know, for for the ride. I'm like, "Okay, I'll do that, you know, and then had to wait like a month, you know, for this thing that I was all excited about. So that was the beginning of, of of like the real social riding for me.
1: And before that you were you were riding.
0: I wasn't riding very much, to be honest with you. Like I had a bike and you know would use it occasionally. and I you know when I, I first came to Los Angeles in uh, fall of seventy three and didn't have a car. couldn't you know, couldn't even think of affording a car um had just sold a motorcycle which i was riding before i came out here um but i just came out here and i was getting around by you know walking mostly and taking the bus or you know whatever and then after about a year of living here i'm like well i still can't afford a car but the bus was just like an awful way to get around i remember going to a concert one night down at the shrine it was two buses to get back to where i was and uh You know, it took me, like, over an hour and a half to get back from just, like, from downtown back to Silver Lake. It was, was like, insane. So I thought, you know, a bike would be a better way to get around. So that was, like, 74, and I bought a bike then and probably rode, you know, pretty solidly. Not, you know, not a lot, but just to get around. I mean, you know, whenever I needed to get somewhere, I I would ride a bike. Um, And, you know, back in those days, there was less traffic, but there was also, like... Zero consciousness about bikes belonging on the street. I mean, you really kind of, to me, even more than now, really took your life into your own hands because it wasn't like there was no, you know, there was no idea of like, oh, okay, you can take the lane. There were zero bike lanes in Los Angeles in those days. So you know, between almost getting sideswiped and almost getting doored and one thing and another, and uh, you know, then probably like around seventy-seven or something like that, I bought a car and. You know, just like most people, just started driving to get places. And once in a while, would ride just for recreation. I mean, my wife and I would go, sometimes like on the weekend, just go like ride downtown because you knew there would be like nobody there. It was just like a ghost town. You're like, oh, I can I can ride around on a bike. I mean, I've, I've always loved riding a bike, but it was not something that felt very, uh, uh, you know, very sensible or even much fun to do because, you know, between speeding cars and, Lack of any kind of infrastructure was just, you know. But we, we would go, we'd go to the river and ride our bikes before there was even a bike path on the river.
1: So, do you think it's gotten safer on the streets for bikes?
0: I would say overall it has gotten safer, which doesn't mean I wouldn't call, I wouldn't say that it's safe. But if I compare it to then, it was a whole different world. Like I say, you had zero infrastructure, zero consciousness, and there were very few people even riding bikes on the street. So. I think what's happened the last maybe ten years is that drivers are at least accustomed to seeing bicycles on the street, and, and I'm I'm surprised and mostly pretty impressed by um, people who will give me room or patiently wait when they need to. You know, there's always the there's a lot of random jerks out there too, or there's a lot of people who are really distracted. But overall, I think there is that consciousness that okay, there's going to be people riding bikes. You know, nobody has to like it. Some people do, some people don't, you know. But mm-hmm. they're at least... So I would say, yeah, between the infrastructure and consciousness and more people riding, um, I would say that overall it's it's safer and and more pleasurable. Because <coughs> then when the... I was going to say, then when the... As the traffic has increased, it becomes a way more practical way to get around. So more people are doing it for that reason. And then I think there's a lot of people in cars that probably look at it and like... There's the people that are they're jealous, but there's also people say, "Oh, maybe I should be doing that."
1: Mm-hmm. Do you get a lot of interactions with drivers?
0: I wouldn't say that many.
1: You know, I wouldn't say a lot. Um, I think I try to be. I mean, I shouldn't say dri- I'm drivers. I almost feel like I'm. I'm. You know, it's it's <laughs> tempting to want to just like there's this group out there, drivers.
0: Well, I think I think when people are behind the wheel of a the car, then they're a driver you know and there's there's like the people who let's say maybe people who ride bikes a lot whether it's like I mean now I probably drive maybe once a week maybe once every other week anymore but I used to drive almost every day Um, so you know I've always said too if people if everybody who drove had to ride their bike like one day a month that their consciousness would change Mm -hmm. because then it goes from like You know, there's this thing that Tom Vanderbilt talks about modal bias. That whatever you're doing, whatever your mode of transportation, that's the way you see the world. But I think if more people did get out from behind the wheel, then suddenly you start to develop this other consciousness. Or I think there's also the effect of the more people ride, the more likely, even people who don't ride, they're more likely they are to know somebody who does ride. You know, I'm sure like all the people that live in my building, you know there's one or two people that ride you know somewhat occasionally or somewhat even somewhat regularly but most people don't but they do know me and so they see oh there's you know there's my neighbor going out for a ride mm-hmm. or you know there's my brother there's my you know there's my son there's my father whatever it is you know and so it, instead of just seeing everybody as the other you start to see them as individuals mm-hmm. and real people but you know again the thing is when someone's behind the wheel of a car they not only kind of become that car, but they become more anonymous. You know, you look at somebody like with a car with tinted windows, and there's somebody in there. You can't even see there's anybody in there. So talking about anonymous, you're not dealing with a human. You're dealing with, you know, like almost a cyborg or a giant, you know, machine. That, so in terms of having a personal interaction, that that becomes difficult, you know. And, and then... You know, back before all cars had air conditioning, people drive around with the windows open. Mm -hmm. Now everybody's got the windows rolled up; they're all sealed in there. So you you don't, for the most part, deal with people as as human beings. And and you know, I mean, not that you know, not that cars are necessarily inherently bad. I wouldn't go that far. But um, it does, in a sense, tend to take away people's sense of like, okay, I'm flesh and blood. I'm a human being whereas a bike I think kind of puts you back in touch with your with your flesh and blood Um, you know because of the effort you need to expend and because you're exposed to the elements all those all those things
1: and what kind of riding do you do
0: um I do a lot you know I do some different types of riding I mean there's times where I'll just go out for a day and you know ride Griffith Park ride the river where it's more recreational, but then I do a lot of practical cycling too. It's like, okay, I've got to go, you know, I've got to pick up a few groceries, I've got to go to the post office, I've got to, you know, go to the drugstore. you know, all those types of things. A commute? Well, I'm not, I don't work. I don't work, you know, I do a little work freelance, but I don't work full-time job anymore. So that's, you know, I think in a way that's allowed me to, to do, you know, ride more than I would have otherwise.
1: Cool. Um, and so do you get involved in politics at all when it comes to bikes? I, I have sporadically
0: in the past. Um, you know, mostly... Atten- like, like what, for uh, You know, attending meetings, um, you know, city council meetings, or um, when the Hyperion Bridge, um, you know, the whole run-up to that was going on. I was kind of involved in that. Um, you know, That's- went to a few meetings, but... Uh, not so much lately, for various reasons.
1: I've, I've there's a strain of thought I was reading in the Daniel Lugo's book about how there's something uh, I don't know, maybe disempowering about going to po- going to politics, going to City Hall for your for your changes.
0: Well, I think you know it can be empowering if you're doing well, you know. And there was a period there a few years ago when I think you know the bike. The all-powerful bike lobby mm-hmm. had uh, the ear of certain people in the city council, like Bill Rosendahl, for example, who I think really got what we were about, you know. And and uh, you could see from what this guy said, and and just from the way he looked at people, that he was like, oh yeah, I, I get these people, I get what they're about, and they're they're a force to be supported. But I think there's been for different reasons I think there's been a little bit of a retrenchment and people kind of, you know, feel slapped down and I think maybe people are acting more even more locally. You know, like this is in front of my house or this is we you know the one issue that I really care about and I'm gonna zero in on. Um because I think, you know, citywide things have I wouldn't say completely ground to a halt, but I think there's more there's more lip service going on than actual changes made. And then there are people who are just you know kind of either out of you know i won't speculate as to reasons but but they're kind of actively kind of suppressing any kind of infrastructure changes that should be made um you know road diets and things like that and everybody knew you know all along i mean people talked years ago that there was going to be a bike lash Mm -hmm. you know talked about that you know when you gain power, then you become, you become more of a target people are gonna push back. So I think that's what happened. You know, there's, you know, cause like, again, getting back to driving, it's like most people, even if they do ride a bike, most people still drive in this town. And there's a big contingent of those people that think that nothing should slow them down or they don't see the bigger picture. Um, you know, nobody wants a freeway put right through their neighborhood. And yet they're perfectly willing to support a freeway through somebody else's neighborhood. So it's kind of, it's kind of a NIMBY thing in some ways. You know, nobody, you know, it's like I look at, I look at the people who increasingly are driving through my neighborhood to commute. And I know it's like partly the fault of, of ways and things like that. You say, well, I don't want to sit here and, you know, I don't want to sit here on Glendale Boulevard. I'm going to like cut through somebody's neighborhood and speed through somebody's neighborhood. So I can probably save like two minutes off my commute is what it comes down to. And, you know, then it's it's degrading the neighborhoods, which were originally more residential and designed to be more residential.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, we have these like Glendale is like a freeway.
0: It's like a freeway when it's moving. Mm -hmm. But then when it's not moving, it's like a parking lot. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it starts spilling out over into the street and traffic is just going to increase. It's not going to get I don't see it getting better. Um, It'll change. Maybe it'll change as more mass transportation gets used, or as maybe, you know, if road diets get put in, or if yeah. autonomous cars come in, it'll change things. But right now, you know, it's just the pressure is just going up.
1: And so, but isn't the pressure going up? You mean the pressure on the traffic as pressure?
0: Yeah, the pressure on traffic as pressure. But even, you know, then you have, in some ways, okay, that doesn't affect bicycles but then you have something like ride sharing which does affect cyclists because you have people who are driving ride share that are constantly using the bike lane as a loading and unloading zone you know and i probably get into it somebody you know with somebody maybe you know maybe once a week or so some guy who just pulls over in front of me or is using the bike lane and it's like sometimes if i can go around i'll go around but then there's other times where you're you're stuck in traffic and suddenly somebody's blocking the bike lane and it's like i'm you know i've Called a lot of people out on that,
1: and they're on their phones sometimes. Oh more yeah, often.
0: well you know the whole distracted driving on the phone thing has become so prevalent that it's just an unfortunate fact of fact of life. Shouldn't be, but it is.
1: And this is the most dangerous city in America to ride a bike. Is that right? Um, I've you know I've heard different things. Okay.
0: I've you know I've heard that. In some ways it is, but I'm not sure how they're calculating that. Are they calculating that in terms of total numbers, or are they calculating that in terms of rates of injury or rates of death or, you know, what the, what the calculation is? So, I, you know, I don't know. Um, again, you know, getting back to what I said earlier, I feel like it's safer now, but um, that's, you know, that's a combination of things too. It's... it's the question of like where I ride and where I know where I'm going and where other people have to ride um so I ride enough around the same areas that I tend to know what are the better streets to take and you know all that but then every once in a while I'll get on some street it's like I don't want to be on this street this is dangerous this is like disaster waiting to happen um I think I have probably slightly above average, you know, street skills and perception because I've been doing it for a long time and I try to really be very attentive to what I'm doing, but you can only do so much. And then there's the random person that comes along that just happens to be, you know, on their phone or texting or whatever it is or homicidal maniac or, you know, whatever happens to be going on. And it's like, doesn't matter how good you are. Mm. If you can't avoid something, you're gonna be you're gonna be a statistic, right?
1: Yeah. Well, so what is your do? You, what do you tell yourself about that? Do you do you do you talk to yourself about that?
0: Um, like any like a lot of things in life, there's a there's a risk benefit ratio, and it's like everything has a risk. I mean, people drive cars all the time and don't see don't think of that as a risky activity. And yet, if you were to go to somebody, well, you know, like 30 plus thousand Americans die every year in in car crashes, they'd be like, well, you know, is that a lot or is that not a lot, you know? um, But again, if it happens to you or a family member or a loved one or whatever, suddenly it's a very real and immediate thing. But as far as bike riding, I feel like, well, I would I would rather you know have the enjoyment and the health benefits the social benefits the the benefits of experiencing this city in a way that you don't experience it in a car I mean I, I'll I'll take the risk that goes along with all those benefits and it's like everything you know almost everything people do has risks you know you could say well if I just sit here in front of my TV for 40 years, I won't get hit by a car. But, you know, you'll probably die of a heart attack.
1: Or asteroid. Or an
0: asteroid, or what you know. Well, that's that's really random. But, you know, I think there's some study that showed, like, that even on a statistical basis, that the benefits do far outweigh the risks. Like, if somebody doesn't ride a bike, they're more likely to die of you know all these other sedentary related causes and you're less likely to die of you know being in a being in a bike crash or whatever so to me that's if you want to look at it you know purely that way you're better off riding your bike as an individual yeah something could happen to you but that you know you don't you don't necessarily know
1: and I don't know why I'm so problem-oriented today, but um, <laughs> what about, like, heat, since we're experiencing yeah. record temperatures and sun?
0: Yeah, well, you know, my, my philosophy is, like, okay, I like to do this thing. I like to ride my bike. And it's become such an ingrained part of my lifestyle that I'm not going to, like, look at the temperature and say, oh, it's too hot to ride today. You know, I ride a little slower, but also, if, if you ride almost every day, you become acclimated. So you sweat a little bit more, or you drink a little more water, you try to stay out of the sun a little bit more, or you ride, you know, earlier in the morning or later in the day or at night or whatever it is. Um, you know, just be sensible, it's like anything else. I mean, you look at people who have to, you know, do work on the roads or construction work, you know, those guys have to work out in the hot sun. They get paid for it, but you know, if you ask most people, they wouldn't want that job. You know everybody wants to be in their air-conditioned offices and their air-conditioned cars and their air-conditioned houses and so it's just you know i grew up in an era where everything wasn't air conditioning and it was just like okay you put on a fan and you sweat
1: <laughs> yeah like people are, are sweat averse
0: yeah sweat averse I and mean, it's like okay you know i take a shower every day sometimes twice a day if i need to and then so, and I wash my clothes, and so it's like, okay, it's just it's fresh wet, it's water. We all do it.
1: So, what rides do you like?
0: Um, you mean in terms of group rides? Uh, I did mean that, but oh. like
1: maybe there's also some solo rides you like. Um, well, you I could
0: answer both questions. Yeah. Um, group rides, I have not been doing a lot in the last, you know, couple years. Um, I always, you know, if people ask me, I always tell them the passage ride. Mm-hmm. But I haven't uh, done that alone. Can you say the full
1: the title? Passage of a few people through a rather brief moment in time. I that think. that to me is the most literary title of a yeah, ride.
0: It's a great literary title and, and their emails are literary and great, just worth subscribing to for that alone. Um, but those guys have, you know, consistently maintained a great ride for like, I don't know what, how many years now? I don't know. six years, seven, ten years? I don't know. It's been a lot of years that they've been doing that ride. and it's
1: What What do they do?
0: Uh, they do, it's, it's a little different every week from what I understand, but it's uh, a lot of times it'll have literary, socio-political references, but it's just a real adventure ride where it'll be, you know, hills and off-roading and tunnels and bridges and stairs and you know, all that stuff and exploring all kinds of parts of the city and sometimes even beyond. So, um, if people are looking for like a good serious evening social ride, that's the one I always tell them. But like, like I say, I haven't, I haven't done in a few years for various reasons, but, um, so that's a great social ride. They haven't had a website. They have a website. Yeah. It's Wednesdays, right? It's Wednesday nights at nine. Yeah. They meet at donut shop on third street, I think. Um, so that's a great ride, and they've kept it. They've kept it really manageable. They've kept it. Um, they've adjusted accordingly to keep it kind of a small group. I don't think it's always the same people, but it's a lot of regulars. Um, you know, like a lot of the social rides a few years back got kind of overwhelmed by numbers and overwhelmed by people who, I think, didn't really get the earlier ethos that the ride started with. Um, And and, you know that...
1: Like any band? Like like anything,
0: things change. And it's like, again, I feel like I'm sort of older and maybe experienced enough to have seen a lot of things come and go and to know that nothing stays the same for very long. You know, sometimes things get better, but a lot of times the early spark that something starts with is kind of the most magical time. Mm. And it's the most, you know, special time. Um, but don't expect, you know, like, don't expect anything to stay the same as it is for very long. I mean, there's a few institutions in this town, you know, a few restaurants that have resisted, let's say the changes of time, but almost everything else you look around and you say, well, this is not the way it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, whatever.
1: That's a good restaurant. Uh, what's a good restaurant? That's Resisted. Uh, Spoke,
0: uh, well, Spoke Cafe is too new to like. Resist. But I was just thinking something like, you know, Felipe's, for example. Oh, yeah. You know. Well, Spoke
1: Cafe is. Spoke Cafe, speak, yeah. on, speak on that for me. Speak
0: minute. on Spoke Cafe. Speak on Spoke. Um, yeah, so they've only been here a few years, but uh, it's a great location right on the river path, and they get a whole diverse group of people coming in here, and of course, you know, Frogtown is changing like crazy and will continue to change, I'm sure. So right there you know you've got a different influx of people all the time um you know they started off really small and it was just a few people that knew about it and they were on the bike path but there's so many people that use the bike path that people stumble in and there's you know more people living in the neighborhood there's more creative spaces going on in the neighborhoods so you know people are always coming in here
1: mm-hmm. and they have like fancy gastropub uh, menu right with coffee yeah, but they yeah, fix your bike the
0: menu they have uh they have you know, breakfast and lunch and, uh, you know, things like the, you know, nice avocado toast and, you know, breakfast tostadas and sandwiches and burgers and pretty vegetarian, vegan-friendly, I, I think.
1: Okay, that was our plug for Spoke.
0: Yeah, that's the plug, yeah. That's enough. <laughs> yeah, but they that's pay me enough now. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're, uh, no, I've, I've been happy to support them since since they started off. They're nice people and uh, my friend Greg does the coffee for them, Tristero Coffee, which everyone probably knows about or should know about.
1: Tristero. Yeah. I actually did not know.
0: About. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. See. I could, put in, I could put in a plug for that guy too, but he doesn't. He doesn't really need it. I think he was named uh, best local roaster a couple of years ago by Uncle. Jonathan Gold. In oh, fact, so. Yeah. yeah. Rest in peace. Yeah,
1: John. that was a loss.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was crazy. The same day Jonathan Gold died was the same day of the Trader Joe's shootout, which was kind of a crazy, oh, really? crazy thing too. Yeah, so I got home and I, you know, was you know on the, on the internet and reading about the uh, or, yeah, hearing about the Trader Joe's shootout and then also saw Jonathan Gold had, had died too. So,
1: so um, do you think that the bike movement, which uh, was it seemed like it was really big in the bicycle district and a lot of things came out. It's where the bike kitchen was, um, orange 20. Do you think that what has happened to it?
0: Well, again, there's been a big change there, you know, and that was bike kitchen was partly how I got involved. Cause right after I started doing midnight riders, then I was like, Oh, this is a great community. I want to like, you know, give something back here. So I did some, I did some carpentry work for the bike kitchen when they were still on heliotrope. and um, you know that was a great thing to do but yeah it's it's changed i mean there's a, obviously there's huge economic forces in this town in terms of increasing rents so it's like where you could be kind of a funky bike shop and you know hang in there it's like as rents go up you've got to you know you got to make make more money just to stay in business um so that changed everything but yeah it's but it's less things are less centralized. I mean, the bike bike district quote was great because everything was like centralized. It was in one place and it brought a lot of people together. But now you have these, you know, these different hubs. You have Spoke Cafe, you have Golden Saddle, you have Coco's on Riverside. Um, I'm just thinking things that are like, you know, nearby. And then, you know, Bicycle Kitchen got a permanent home, which was a great thing and it's like, I don't, I don't go there much, so I don't really know how they're doing, but I'm happy that they're still there. Mm-hmm. You know, Bike Oven is hung in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it became Biker like... Wave. Yeah, Biker Wave. I mean, that's way on the other side of town in a way. But um, So it's, it's become decentralized, which is something that's inevitable. I mean, as it grows, people are going to go like, well, why should I go all the way over to the bike district? I want, you know, like, I'm sure people who started Biker Wave or Bike Oven were like well, okay, there's the bicycle kitchen, but that's way over there. It's like, what about something in my neighborhood? So that pulls everything apart. And hopefully eventually, you know, that becomes connected into some kind of a network. I mean, just like we all talk about, excuse me, um, as far as bike lanes, you know, it doesn't do any good to have a, a road, like the road diet on Rowena is great, but okay, it's three quarters of a mile long and it doesn't connect anything on either end. So what you really need to have anything that works is a a network. You know, how many people are out there riding and then suddenly it's like bike lane ends and you're like, okay, where do I I go now? I mean, people who are experienced riders, like, they process that information pretty quick. It's like, okay, bike lane's ending, I'm going to go here, I'm going to take the lane, or I'm going to, this lane's wide enough, I can share this lane, or you know, maybe I need to turn here or turn there. Um, but I think people who are maybe...
1: New to biking.
0: New to biking are, are not gonna like process that information and maybe just come to a grinding halt and say, well, I, I give up at this point. I mean, it's, and then it's funny with like the, the bike share, um, you know, that started downtown, but now there's a station in Echo Park. So I'll see people riding around Echo Park and even ran into a couple of guys riding in Elysian Park one day, you know, pushing these tanks up this big hill. And I'm thinking, well, they probably looked at a map and saw, like, oh, here's a park. We'll go ride in the park. You know, they obviously weren't they weren't from this part of town. Or, you know, they were, who knows where they were from. But it's like, okay, so you have these people who are completely, um, you know, in a way, blissfully ignorant of what the actual conditions are. Um, so that's another good reason that if the city wants bike share to be successful you really have to build a network Mm -hmm. and so then at least people can you know look at it and say okay here's a network of 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 bike infrastructure bike lanes that i can ride in and i know that this has been thought out and will hopefully get me where i want to go or at least take me on a nice ride
1: that's a good direction you know a a network of bike lanes that you can rely on
0: yeah that's i think that's the thing to impress on Anybody, you know, if you have, it's like your elevator speech to any politician or whoever it is, is to say, you know, like if somebody says, "Well, what do you want?" It's just like, "Well, I want a, I want a connected network." You know, I want, I want something that's at least been thought out so it doesn't just randomly end and dump people off. But I'm going to be out there riding as long as I can, and hopefully that'll be, you know, another 20, 30 years. <laughs> I have no idea, but that's my major contribution these days is to be out there riding and and connecting with people that I see and, you know, whether they're people in cars or people on bikes or people at cafes and, and you know, try to maybe spread the, the gospel of biking in the best way that I can. <laughs> All
1: right. We'll see you out there. All right. Thank maybe, you. Maybe Thank at you, the Nick. passage ride.
0: Maybe. Maybe yeah. you're just out on the street by myself.
1: Okay. Cool. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Bike Talk. If you want to hear more, go to kpfk.org, navigate to programs, and choose Bike Talk. On the Bike Talk page, click on the archives link to play or download shows posted in the last four months. Go to biketalk.com and copy or click on the RSS link to subscribe. Our Twitter handle is Bike Talk PFK. On Facebook, we are Bike Talk. You can become friends and join our group.